With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lord, I thank you for allowing us for you this evening. Lord, tonight's message might be a little bit long. I don't want it to be very long. But Lord, I'm going to actually give two two messages in one tonight. Because I want to talk first about something from Joel 2, which is very important. And it should be its own message. But I want to use the miracle of Elijah on Mount Carmel as an example to show what we're missing after we study Joel 2 real quickly. What I want to study about in Joel 2 is the meaning of consecration, the meaning of justification, and the meaning of sanctification. We need to understand that this is the process that we must go through at this time, that we're, we don't have an understanding. And I, I hope, dear Lord, that the people will see that as we go through this tonight, that they will believe in what I'm trying to make known here from the Scriptures, that you'll make it clear to them, and they'll be able to understand. I'm going to start in Joel 2 at verse 12. It says, Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Remember what he says in Proverbs 1.23. We must turn to him, and then he will pour out his spirit and cause us to know his words that we're going to be judged by. We're going to be judged by his words, which is in John 12.48. And we're required to be set apart from the world by that in John 17.17. 17. It says, so rend your heart and not your garments. Rend your heart. What's that mean? See, back in the time when the people came out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai, the Lord wanted to write his words on their hearts, but they did not want that. They wanted to come through man, so they brought the way of the world into it. It was like they left the Pharaoh and wouldn't trust God. They, they wanted not to have the direct communication with God because they feared him and his word and his thunder. He was showing them his power and authority over all things. By the lightning, the thunder, and the dark cloud, and the rest of it. Instead of looking at those things and asking God, what is the wisdom that you're representing in this? They got fearful because it touched their heart and they could feel their own sins, I believe. And so they wanted it to come through man and not them because they thought they would die. Because clearly they felt they were unclean. Like The power of God, the presence of God was causing them to feel unclean. And that was good because he was trying to get rid of the uncleanness in them. And set them apart into his kingdom as a people of his kingdom, which in Matthew twenty one, forty three to forty four they finally lost. It says it was taken away from them and sent to another nation, which is the nation of the believers of this time that's going to come forward, whether they're Jew, all the world, Gentiles, all the world, all those who will call upon the name of the Lord, which is the word of God, shall be delivered into what? The kingdom. God is bringing forth this kingdom. He's coming in Zephaniah three, eight to nine. To separate the people into his kingdoms. is From the very beginning, his kingdoms are light and darkness. You're either of the light and you're going to rise up to God, or you're going to be of the darkness, you're going to be cast out into the pit. You have a choice. That's the end result. There's a little process of getting in there, like plagues and you know war and murder and theft and bankruptcy and everything else to those going down. But there's the reward of getting dominion over the earth and bringing forth the gloriousness of the likeness of the Garden of Eden for those who are of the light. 
That's what we're faced with at this time. So he's saying, rend your heart. In other words, at this time, allow the Lord to write the words on your heart. Desire that of him instead of doing it the other way, which is having it come through man, which is going to get messed up. Always. You can't enter the kingdom unless the light of God is in you and with you, which is what the eternal city is going to be like. And not your garments. In other words, you don't have the knowledge of rending garments, tearing garments, shredding garments. God is saying, don't do that. People walk around in ice cloths and think that's a great thing. But God is not saying that's the way to go. What God is saying is realize that what you need to do is get the words of God that are come with the full measure of the Spirit of God in your heart. And then you'll think of his ways only and everything else of the world will pass away. He will do that if we will turn to him. He says, return to the Lord your God. That's a problem we have. We don't understand that the Lord is telling us in Daniel 9.24 that all the way up until the end times that we're in right now, we have not made God anoint the Most High. We have not made him God. We got all kinds of gods. But we have not made the God our God. And that's very important for us to understand. We'll talk about that in a second. So, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He doesn't want to bring about the destruction. He's been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, delaying, delaying, delaying the judgment, waiting for his people to wake up and go out and harvest the people of the world and allow the spirit to move and have a revival. But we're running out of time. And we will be judged for our lack of revival spirit. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. I've explained the new wine this morning in the message. So I hope you get the morning message and review why he's saying we've got to get new wine that he's going to give us. New wine. Why, why not just wine? What's the difference between new wine and old wine? We need to understand that. Blow the trumpet in Zion. See, the trumpet, Zion is also the name he gives the firmament of the heavens. Blow it in a trumpet in Zion. In other words, pay attention to what's going on with the words of God and how he rules over us and judges over us. He says he's going to rule the heavens with a rod of iron. We should want to know what does that mean? How is that? Now, here's the key part. I'm not going to go on with this. I just want to get to this point. Verse 16, uh, 15 and 16, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. What is consecrate a fast mean? It means giving God ownership. In other words, we're to fast, and the purpose is to let God come into us and take over us. God comes into us within his words, which are, have the full measure of his spirit in us. Consecrate a fast. That's the fast you'd be seeking for, seeking for the words to enter you, because the words of God is the inheritance of the kingdom. He makes all things by his words, which are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are higher than ours. The meaning is of his words are higher than ours. And they access his great uh, good works that he prepared for the foundations of the world. Gather the people. Uh, he says, call a sacred assembly. Consecrate a fast. See what he's saying? Call a sacred assembly. What he's saying is consecration means you turn yourself over to God, which is exactly our requirement to do in this seven years period that we're in the first year of, which is Daniel 9.24. It says we must anoint the Most High, but there's five things before that. If we read it carefully, it's telling us, he says we, we have to make reconciliation for our sins. We don't realize that our sin is we wouldn't allow him, turn to him and repent so that he could write his words in our heart. 
we think we got the scriptures and everything else and we're just entitled to a rapture and we're not. And it says, make an end of sins. Make a reconciliation for our sins and then stop sinning. Then he says, I'm sorry, it says, uh, I, I, got, I got that a little bit wrong. I should have started with uh, with first one, which was finish the transgressions. Finish the sins. Our sin is we are not having the Lord. We have, how we, begins with the way of the first spirit, which is finishing transgressions. What's that? Let there be light. We have to decide to allow the words to enter us. Secondly, make an end to sins mean get wisdom, get understanding of the words of wisdom. Third one is make a reconciliation for inequity. How do you do that? You have to understand what to do. You have to understand how to do his words so you do good for others so it makes reconciliation for all your sins of the past. Bring in everlasting righteousness. That's the counsel of the Lord. He is the son of righteousness. He's rising to get us to give us counsel and guidance and all these things because we've entered his kingdom now. It is now that he has dominion over the earth and not the world and not us. We have to get the inheritance of the kingdom and be received by God, justified, and then we'll, we'll be able to be sanctified. He said, then five, seal up the vision of prophecy. The, the fifth spirit of God is the might of God. In other words, his plan must be understood and fulfilled. We have a work to do. We have works we must do at this time. And the sixth thing in Daniel 9.24 is this, anoint the most holy, most holy. We've got to anoint the Lord Jesus Christ as our king and allow him. And the God is our father who owns us, owns all things. That is Daniel 9.24. <clears throat> now, consecration is that. It says we have to uh, understand it. Like Ezekiel, or excuse me, Exodus 28.41, it says, You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on your sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. Now, they were already justified, because justified is justified by God. We see, um, the, the, I'm sorry, justified is uh, justified uh, by our words. And we set ourselves apart by our words, the words of God. We are justified by God because you cannot receive the words unless God has given authority. Jesus paid the price of the blood to purchase us so that we can receive these words that give us the wisdom of God and gives us the inheritance of the kingdom, the everlasting life, and we'll be able to go on and become doers of the words, which is what sanctifies us. Justification is an immediate thing. You are justified by God the minute you, you concentrate yourself, consecrate yourself to God to receive his words with an open heart. And he knows the intent of your heart. Hebrews 4.12. His words will search you out. And if your intent is to be set apart by God, because he says in, in John 8.47, we're not of God if we don't receive his words. But if we will believe in his words, understand that his words are higher than ours, his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are higher than ours, same words, but he has greater meanings in them and he explains this throughout the Bible. That is what justifies us. It's also what consecrates us. Consecrate is that we're giving ownership to God. See, you cannot receive God's words in a half spirit. You're not of God. You're not of God. You're not set apart by his words. When we are sanctified by truth, which is his words, that means you're a doer of the words. Sanctification is like refinement. It's a process. You begin to learn it. You're sanctified from the beginning, but everything he shows you, he wants you to do. 
And when you do those things, you become sanctified. Justified is you're hearing the words of God, and therefore you're of his kingdom. you got the inheritance. He's going to allow you to begin to have that opportunity to grow as long as your heart's intent is right and you're doing it for the purpose of righteousness. That's what he's talking about. And when you go on with Joel 2, he says this. Consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. The only assembly that can be sacred is one that's holy. And you have to receive his words within you because his words is holy because he is holy. And that's a sacred assembly. Gather gather together an assembly who has his words. That's what he's saying in Joel 2.15. And until you have that, you're not having it. You're not justified by God if you will not hear him. He said, if you don't hear my words, you don't love me. If you don't love me, I won't represent you to my father. John 14, 23 and 24 and other verses. He says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. Sanctification, as I've explained to you, is explained very simply in John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them by your truth. This is Jesus talking to God. His truth is the works of God. In other words, he set apart the disciples. They have the knowledge of our words. They don't understand that. But after he paid the price of his blood on the cross, he was allowed then to come and breathe the spirit upon them because now they are justified by God because he paid the price for them and their sins of the past is forgiven. And now they can be justified by God, by the words of God. Jesus blew the spirit upon them. And, and then he said, here are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you. And he was able then to cause them to understand the scriptures because the scriptures is written in a pure language of the kingdom of heaven. You can read it in earthly languages, but you're going to get far more out of it if you listen to it in the way of the words as they are known in the kingdom of heaven, as are revealed within the scriptures. Put it all together. It's a gigantic parable. It's a marvelous parable. And it's, it's always correct. Okay. We are justified by his grace. Jesus gave his blood on the cross to allow us to come into the, into the, the, before the Holy of Holies of the Father and receive the words. And God will give you the words if we've come through that because we can only come through Jesus for that because he paid the price of blood. And we can say to the Father, you know, the Lord paid the price of his blood to guarantee it. He said, all those who come to me and knock shall be received. And we're going to receive the knowledge of his words, which he promises, I shall make it known to you in Proverbs one twenty three. And by getting the words, and then you can become doers of the words. And when you become doers of the words, you become sanctified because you're glorifying the Father. Do not glory yourself. You do not seek your own glory. You seek the glory of the kingdom, and God will give you glory if you deserve it. We must trust him for that. He decorates the flowers of the field. You don't think he can decorate you? But he will not decorate you if you're in pride. Pride keeps you from receiving the gifts of God and keeps you from being able to call upon his words in the day of trouble. So we have to understand this. Jesus said in John seventeen nineteen, For their sakes, sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. We are sanctified. In other words, you make a sacrifice. You're doing good for others, not yourself. You're doing the way of the words for others, for your family, that they might go forth and do things for others that you do good works for. But you do them, not just doing them um, unwisely, but do them in the way of wisdom and the way of the knowledge of God's pure language of the kingdom of heaven. See, Romans 3, 4 says, Certainly not, indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words, that may overcome when you are judged. Gee, you know, the Father said that in John five twenty four that if we will hear the words of the voice of the Lord 
and believe in the Father, believe in his promises, then we, are, we have eternal life and will pass through these judgments. That's the secret right there. See, the, the deeds of the law of the Old Testament is not going to get you there. They don't, it's just like today, the doctrines of the church. You know, they're, 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 they don't explain anything to you. They don't teach you the science laws of God, the, the laws of the words that enable all the good works or how to get that law, how to get the ability to have the right to call upon those words to enable the laws, the, the good works, when the time of trouble comes. Remember that there's many prophets, many uh, people, uh, preachers that cast out demons and preachers that heal. God's going to say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because they did all these things, many good deeds they've done. But they're not going to be justified because they did not seek the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of his words that explains why those things that they were able to do were done. And that was the key. So that that's my point. Let me just go by this. Sanctification means be set apart from the world by doing the works of good, the good works of truth, which is doing the way of the words of God to enable his good works. That's sanctification. Justification means to declare yourself righteous. How do you become righteous? You have to receive the words that are righteous, that are holy in you, because his words only come with the full measure of the Spirit of God, which is John three thirty four. He tells you in John fourteen fifteen to 17 that those of the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth in them. So if the Spirit of truth is not in you, you're not being able to understand these words. That's why they're a big cloud to you, because you're not seeking the Lord to pour out his spirit upon you for the purpose of making known your word, his words. But first you must believe what he said, that, that he made all things by his words and that we're going to be judged by his words and we're justified by his words. He said in John fifteen three, you're washed clean by the words I've spoken to you. All you have to do to get set apart from the world and protected through these times of trouble that are coming is believe in the words and have a willingness in your heart to be guided by the spirit of God to come to righteousness and able to glorify the Father. If our, our desire to use the words for our own ambitions, you're not going to be justified. That's not justified by God. That's personal agendas. <laughs> Consecration definition. Consecration implies and involves a transference of ownership. You're, you're giving God yourself and saying, Lord, I want to be a servant of you. I want to be a son of God. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to fulfill the works you've given me to do from the beginning because I know if I do that, you, you, the things that you have planned for me, I can't even imagine. They're so great and wonderful. Jesus said that many times in different ways. I like the one in Matthew eleven, nineteen. Let me let me go to Titus 3, 7 first. It says, That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, he said in John five twenty four, If we will hear the words of the voice of the Lord and believe in the Father, we will have eternal life and pass through these judgments. Titus 3, 7, Paul's saying the same thing. You're justified by the grace of the blood that allows you to come into the Holy Holies and receive these words because Jesus paid the purchase price. And these words are what enables us to become holy because that's what we want to get written on our hearts at this time. That kind of a heart. And then he says this. Matthew eleven nineteen. the Lord says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. But see, people don't understand what that really means, I don't think. Jesus came eating and drinking in the way of the words. 
eating and drinking and the way of the words and the people's houses he goes to and the way he did things. He was doing it. He says wisdom is justified. He didn't say he was. He was saying the words of wisdom is justified by his children. And he came bearing witness to the words of God and doing those things of the words, John 18.37, Deuteronomy 18.18 and 19. And that's what he said in John 17.19. He was set apart by his by his truth, which is the words of God, doing them. So the words of wisdom are planted into these people, allow the Spirit to stir these people up and, and cause them at the time later when the Spirit is loosed after the cross to call upon those people. And they're going to get that opportunity to come to him if they haven't been put out on stony ground, which means they have too many doctrines. But if they are, you know, good ground, fertile ground, they will grow. Now, I'd like to go to an interesting story. You know about Elijah on Mount Carmel, Carmel, uh, when he killed the um, prophets of Baal. And he, he took him up to the mountain. You, you know all this. Um, I'm, I'm just going to give you an, an idea here quickly. I'm trying to look here where to start at in the story. Um, it's in... Um, First Kings 18, of course. It's a very interesting thing. First, we should know the meaning of the name of Elijah is Yahweh is God. Or Yah is God. The Lord God is God. That's a really important for us to understand. Because he's going to build an altar here. If you go back to the time when Jacob built an altar, um, it was this, he made that altar to be that God is God. And... Um, you know, it goes, what you have to understand is God, what he's saying is God owns this land and all things in it and all things to be are controlled by him. The particles and all things, he's going to cause it to be finished in the end. That's what he's really testifying to. And Elijah's talking about that. And it says that Elijah is Elijah the Tishbite. And there's a very interesting thing. Nobody really gets a clear idea of what the word Tishbite means. But it's an intriguing thing because we know that Elijah is going to be one of the two witnesses that come back in the middle of the morning of the day of the Lord. And they'll be here for 42 months with with, uh, Enoch. Enoch and Elijah are coming back. Elijah, J-A-H-E-L-I-J-A-H. But Tishbite is a very interesting name because um, some say it's called the answer man of Gilead. He's from the area they believe of Gilead. And that's intriguing of its own because um, it's as like a, per- a perpetual fountain. And um, Tishbite may mean, one of the meanings that people think it has is returnee. They don't know why. They think he's a returnee of Gilead. But you can now know he's doing that work. From the beginning, he was given that work. And when the Lord says, Elijah, the, the Tishbite, he may well be saying, Elijah, the returnee, because he's going to return with Enoch as one of the two witnesses. That makes a whole lot of sense. And that, what that word is, like a rolling stone, a returning stone. And that is what he's doing. He's the word of God. He's constantly up there as one of the two witnesses. And he's remembering the word, and the words will come back on us. And he's going to have that memory. And when they come back, Elijah and Enoch, are going to speak fire from their mouths because why? They have the knowledge of all the things that have happened to this time, from the time that Enoch went up and from the time Elijah was taken up. So it's very interesting. So when you think about Elijah, you got to think of it 
quite differently a little bit, I believe. You know, um, there's a uh, also the a meaning of Elisha. Now, Elisha is going to uh, take a part in First uh, Kings 18, which is kind of unusual because his name is not mentioned there. But when you go to Second Kings 3:11, it talks about Elisha poured the water on the hands of Elijah poured the water on the hands of Elijah and everybody believes that this is what happened at Mount Carmel that Elisha was there and he poured the water because the water multiplied greatly and we'll explain that in a second Elisha's meaning is salvation in my God or God is salvation and he's from uh, the son of Shaphat which means he that he hath judged he has judged and he was from this city, it mentions in the Bible, he was from the city of Abel, Mahola, which means the meadow of dancing or the brook of the dance. That's very interesting about that. Because dance means celebration of victory. And Mount Carmel, where this is going to be, is called the fruitful field or the field, the park, or the garden. And a victory is going to be the likeness of the Garden of Eden is going to come back to the earth at this time in us, through us, God is going to use us to speak forth the words and do this. And this must be done before we go up in the rapture. We don't understand. We have work to do at this time. Yes, it'll be in the millennium, but I believe it also comes at this time. Because if he's going to refine us, we have to do works to be refined. We have to do, because he says he's coming for those who made a sacrifice. Uh, Psalms 50 and 4 with his angels when he sends them. How do you make a sacrifice? You're making a sacrifice by doing the good works of, of, the, of the Lord through the doing of the words so that God is glorified. And if we glorify the Father in the works that we do for the glory of the kingdom, and remember he said he's waiting for the sons of, man, uh, the sons of um, God to, to rise up. The whole creation's waiting for that so that it can restore it. And it's going to testify of that before we go up in the rapture and then again when we come back. Uh, when after after the uh, be, at the beginning of the millennium. Now, also in the story of Mount Carmel is the Kishon Brook, and that's a really interesting. It means the word means torturous or winding about, twisting, place of ensnarement. And, you know, this is where the Lord at the time of Sisera in Judges four and five, it talks about there that the, the mountains gush forth rain. Now, I don't know if that rain was in the spirit of the men because it, the Lord went before them and it was destroying these people or were they, many people think that the the water, because in, in Deborah's song in Judges 5, it talks about the water gushing out of the mountains and coming down. And, it, and so it flooded that area or it caused the chariots to slow or be unworkable. And so that was the beauty of this. Um but that's the, it was at this place where Elijah has the, these people destroyed. The uh, prophets of Baal is destroyed there. So all of this is what I'm talking about is it's important. It's, he said uh, Kishon has a meaning of catcher or a place of catch or bender or place of ensnarement or the winding about or torturous. Uh, that's the original word. A root, one of the original roots is, uh, means torturous or winding about. So we can see that bending and so forth, it almost sounds like this is the place where God will cause those wicked before him to bow and they'll be cast out into the pit 
almost like the great white throne judgment is what happened to these prophets of Baal. The same thing. They were brought down to this Kishon Brook and destroyed there. But I would like to talk a little bit about what uh, Elijah did. Now, I'm not going to go into the part where he's, um, you know, the, the prophets of Baal started out early in the morning. They took the two bulls and one was separated apart for uh, uh, Elisha and one to the, was given to the, because he's having the people do this. And in this story, uh, it tells us there that the altar of God had been torn down in the in the land. In other words, the people were not uh, worshiping God. They'd been worshiping idols and these prophets of Baal and all that. They weren't allowed to uh, worship God prior to that time. So Elijah was there to cause this altar to be reestablished in the land. That's why he built an altar of stone. So anyway, they did their... The, the prophets of Baal did their thing. They they were unlucky. and I mean, unlucky. It was never going to work. But they were dancing around and doing all their things. And I think it's interesting that um, that area is called, uh, um, I mean, Elisha's uh, uh, place where he's from is called the, the, the Brook of the Dance. And Elisha was there with Elijah at this time. So he knew him before he anointed him. Uh, he went to his house, and you remember you saw him uh, plowing the field with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, to get you less confused, I'm back in 1 Kings 18. And uh, it goes on. It starts after these people failed to get their their, their fire to come down and consume their, uh, uh, their sacrifice of their bull. Elijah then starts to act, and it says in verse uh, 29, it says, And as the afternoon passed, and they feigned to prophecy until the time of the sacrifice of the evening offering. And there was no voice and no answer, and no one was listening. They, their gods didn't hear them. And Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the tore-down altar of the Lord. In other words, this is what he's going to accomplish. He's going to repair the torn-down altar of the Lord. Elijah took 12 stones corresponding to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Israel is a vicarious governor of God. And he said, all the tribes, he took this 12 stones representing that. Israel shall be your name, which is the work of the kingdom that you're to do, be the vicarious governor of God, the keeper of the words of God. And that's why recording it this way in this verse. And verse 32, it says, He built the stones into an altar in the name of the Lord. That means in the work of the Lord, which is the word of God, to make known the word of God. And he made a trench as great as one could contain two sails of seed around the altar. This is interesting because what he's talking about around the altar, what people understand it in Hebrew is that the the depth or the width of the... um, trench that he made around it uh, the amount the trench he made around it was very great he said it made a trench as great as would contain two say of seed around the altar in other words all the way around it was two say as width wide is what they believe because if it you know a say is about 7.7 liters which is about two gallon of water so we know that there's there's a reason or they explain it this way because he's going to have uh, buckets of water poured on it uh, several three t- three different times so, uh, these um, 
vessels of water. So we know it's more than two gallons is going to put in there. A lot more. So it's the width is what he's talking about here, two sayers seed. And people think that that's very, very large, uh, the way around that thing. It's, it's, they're thinking it's as, uh, well, anyway, it's very, very wide and very, uh, very big. It's a very good sized trench is what I'm trying to say to you. It says, and he arranged the wood and he cut up the bull and placed it upon the wood. He arranged the wood on top of the altar, on top of these stones. And then he said, fill me four pitchers of water and pour them on the burnt offerings on and on the wood. Why four? Four is the root of truth, the word truth. It's also the counsel of the Lord, the fourth spirit, spirit counsel of the Lord. He's going to do this three different times. And what he's doing is in the first time, he's using the truth to separate light and darkness. That's the way of the first spirit of God. And then he's doing the four pitchers, which is the counsel of the Lord again. And what's he doing this time? He, he's doing the words of wisdom. He says, let this be for wisdom that the people might know it. See, water is water of correction. He wanted this to be poured out upon the people. And God has in his storehouses two different things. He has the snow and the cold for correction, and he also has the fire for immediate correction. Cold will bring them towards it, but the fire is like an immediate uh, consumption, an immediate word being answered. And says, um, he, he said, let me read that again, verse 34. It says, and he said, fill me four pitchers of water and pour them on the burnt offerings and on the wood. And he said, repeat it. And they repeated it. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And when the water went around the altar and also the trench, he filled with water. So what he's saying is all this filled all that up. It's a massive amount of water that he poured on this thing. And But the interesting thing is when you go to Second Kings 3.11, you see that Elijah, it says here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, when they were looking for a, um, you know, a prophet in the land of Israel, uh, uh, the northern tribes, Israel. And uh, it said, uh, who poured water on Elijah's hands. Second Kings 3.11, here is, here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water on Elijah's hands, and a miracle took place with the water through him. Do you understand this? I mean, what he's saying is that when he poured the water, when Elisha, Elisha poured the water on Elijah, the hands of Elijah, the water multiplied. The water multiplied. And the water went around the altar in verse 35, and also the trench was, he filled with the water. He filled it. In other words, it multiplied. It was that much water that it multiplied. And that's why he's saying that, that trench was bigger than we might imagine in our minds. And the water was multiplied. It was a miracle through him. The water was multiplied. And it was. And that's important for us to understand. I want to stop here a second. If you read my book, A Testimony of Numbers, you'll see in there the drawings of the creation, the physical creation. Outside of the firmament, there is the place called the waters. It's a ball that holds the firmament within it. And God is in the very center of the waters. And then outside the waters, there's a ball that holds it. In other words, there's another ball holds it, and outside of that is the abyss. But that one that's in the and the uh, that's outside the waters and in between the abyss and the waters, and you can see this in the drawings that are in the book of Testimony of Numbers and the Cuba Truth. You'll see this. That's why the Cuba Truth. He's, he's doing this four, three times. You understand that? 
he did it three times. There's also the waters. There is the deep, which is the place that's in between the the waters and the abyss. And that place called the, the deep is the storehouses of God's corrections. He separated light and darkness. It tells you he put a, a, a border between the waters and the deep, and then uh, between the deep and the abyss. There's another one. But that place called the deep, at the time of the millennium, when, that, when the millennium judgment is over, that place will be emptied, and there will be nothing in it. It will be a void between the waters and the abyss. And nobody that's cast into the abyss can come back over that void. It's going to be an empty expanse they cannot cross over. So they'll never come back once the great white throne judgment is there. He's symbolizing that. Elijah in this miracle is symbolizing that. He's got the trench out there. He's circled the altar, which is clearly he's made uh, an altar that looks like that it is a circular altar around it. You get the 12, uh, 12 stones around it. He made an altar with it, put the wood in the middle of it. And build it up. And the reason was their doctrine is going to be burnt out and cast out. See, the work of the firmament, which is what the wood is representing, because he's saying that their word is like dead wood. They weren't heard. Therefore, he's going to burn it up. God's going to consume it up. And it's like he's going to consume up their place in the firmament. And they're going to be cast out immediately. That's why when the fire fell on them, Elijah said, take them and destroy Bring them down to the book of uh, Kishon, and he destroyed them there. And they were, I mean, their bodies were taken and placed in the, in the pit called death. It's in the, uh, in the upper part of the abyss. Not the second death, which is the same as the Lake of Guiana, which is at the bottom of the abyss, but the place called death, which is the opposite of Tartarus, in the pit, as the Bible explains. And I've shown it to you in the book of Testimony of Numbers, the drawings. You can just skim through that book and you'll see the drawings of the creation and understand it. So that's what he's showing here. He's showing that that trench was representing the the place called the uh, dark waters, and that that's going to be completely consumed up when the fire fell. That's what happened. It said, and and it was when the evening sacrifice was offered that Elijah the prophet came near and said, "Lord God, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel." Remember, they had made the altars and established altars. And they'd called them uh, God, the God, the God. So the altars was God is in charge of the land and in charge of all things, period. Said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And at your word, I have done all these things. In other words, by the way of your words, I have done this. By the instruction you've taught me, by the knowledge you revealed to me, I've done this. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. And this people shall know that you are the Lord God. And you have turned their hearts backwards. Because they'd all, you know, it's like America today. Everybody thinks they're religious and they're filled with the Spirit and everything. But God says in Luke 21, 34 to 36, that all the people on the earth, including the Christians and the Jews, are caught in a snare. In other words, they're not clean like they think they are. God wants to make them clean. He loves them, but they're lukewarm. They're neither cold nor hot. He's going to cast them out because of that, which is what he says in Matthew seven twenty one to 23 as well. It says, goes on, it says, And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the earth and the water which was in the trench it licked up. In other words, what he's saying is these guys are going out to the abyss. 
he judged those people, those prophets of Baal, and by doing that, what it's, in other words, I'm telling you, this altar was made in a specific way by Elijah, by wisdom of understanding, so that he was asking God exactly what he wanted to have happen. In other words, giving it to God, giving him the right to judge. He did it. He didn't do anything to these people until God judged. And then God judged. And, you know, God's law for the Old Testament was that they had to destroy these people. God is going to destroy them this time. But in this time, in that time, they had to destroy them because that was the law uh, of, the, of, of Moses, in the book of the law of Moses. And he says, and all the people saw and fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let no one of them escape. And they seized him. Elijah took them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said to Ahab the king, go up and eat and drink, for now you will hear the rumbling sound of the rain. Remember, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. So what he's talking about here is that the... uh, the sound of the rain of three and a half years at the end of the three and a half years is important for us because the morning, in the midst of the morning, the Lord is going to take away the sacrifice and offering. That's after 42 months. It's three and a half years. And we're in the first year, beginning in the spring, we began the first year. So what he's saying is in the midst of the morning, in Daniel nine twenty seven, he says he'll take up the sacrifice and offering, which is the rapture event. And so what, he, what he's saying is go up, eat and drink, for now you will hear the rumbling sound of the rain. Elijah's desire was that these people would receive the knowledge. Remember that when he tells them to go up, he said, on Mount Carmel. Remember what Mount Carmel means, a fruitful field. He was believing that the man would hear the word. But as you know, he went back to, he ended up going back to um, Jezebel, his wife, and immediately he was back in the way of the world because he would not set her apart or get rid of her. And she was higher than these gods of Baal because she hired them and brought them there. These these priests of Baal. And Ahab, even though these people said his people, his own people had said that, that God is God, he goes right back to Jezebel and turns the story again and, and he's lost. And he's the king. The power of the king is in his words. So he went right back to the words of, of um, Jezebel even though... Uh, Elijah had testified. Elijah had testified to the words of God in all of his actions, as I've explained to you the way of the words that he did this. So he said, Ahab went up to uh, uh, went up to the top of uh, Mount Carmel and crouched on the ground. And uh, Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up there and crouched on the ground and put his head between his knees. And he said to his servant, "Please go up and look look toward the, the sea. Now the sea's to the west." And the west is the way of the correction, the the uh, way of the, the 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 deep, the the God's correction is coming upon the land is what it's saying. It said to his servant, "Please go up and look toward the sea." And he went up and looked and said, "There is nothing." And he said, "Go again seven times." He did that seven times. He told him to go, and on the seventh time, he the servant came back and he said, "There is a cloud as small as a man's palm, rising from the sea." And he, and he told the servant, go up and say to Ahab, hitch up the horses to the chariot and descend, lest the rain stop you. Meanwhile, the heavens grew dark with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. And Ahab rode and, and went to Jezreel. Now, it's just, which is really interesting. Um, 
you know, while he's hitching up the, the, the chariot, his horses it started doing this right away, uh, getting the clouds dark in the heaven, and the rain came. And, and so, but this is really what's quite, quite interesting. The last verse says this, And a spirit of strength from the Lord was with Elijah. What is the spirit of strength? That is the power of the words. It's a, it is the words only come in power because the power of the king is found in his words, and Jesus is our king. And so that's the spirit of strength. His words have the full measure of the spirit of God in them, John um, 3.34. And tells you that Ecclesiastes 8.4 is that the power of the words, I mean, the power of the king is in his words. So the words of God is where the power is found. And when those words are in you, that's the spirit of strength when the Lord was with, with Elijah in him. And he girded his loins. Now that's a really interesting word because that word, girded, is only used one time in the scripture, this this particular word. And they don't really have a good understanding of it, but it means to bind together. But they don't understand what this is doing. This is the same as um, Ephesians 6. Um, I can't remember the exact scripture here. Let me get to it real quickly. I think it's 6.14. Yeah. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He had the, clearly the breastplate of righteousness because he was walking in the way of doing the righteous ways to enable these things for the Spirit to move upon the people, and he did that. The Spirit moved in power. But the king is already going to lead his people astray because he goes back to Jezebel and turns right back to where he was and cowered to her instead of getting, getting rid of her. So he was a weak man. He had let this happen to his nation because he was looking for the prophets of the world and not the prophets that come through the blessings of God. He said, The spirit of strength from the Lord was with Elijah and has girded his loins and he ran before Ahab until coming to Jezreel. Now, please understand. What I understand, and I don't know this is for certain, but I have heard it, is that Elijah at this time was about 71 years old. And he was running. It's, a, it's at least 16 miles from Mount Carmel to, to Jezreel. So you see that he's in a storm, he's running that long, and people say he wrapped his garment around his waist so that he wouldn't trip or something like that. No, he understood the way of the words, the belt of truth. When Jesus was going to leave his disciples in uh, John 13, what did he do? After the dinner, he took the towel, wrapped it around, you know, girded himself with it. It's around your waist, your hips, and... Uh, what he, what he did with it then was to wash the disciples' feet. But he did it in the belt of truth. It's, in other words, when you're doing this, this is the, the word that God wants you to eat. And what, what Elijah was doing by girding himself and running before him and strengthening him, he wanted to be here, to be there, to see if the word that was implanted in, in Ahab. In other words, remember this. The reason why he's outrunning the chariot is because God says, mighty is the word that goes before you in Joel 2.11. So when you, when you understand these things and you want to do the work of God and you want it to be done good, this is what he did. And God supernaturally gave him the strength to outrun a chariot at that age. I, I tell you, I, I've seen Elijah. He came and appeared. There was Elijah and Moses and the Lord appeared. And I looked into the eyes of Elijah several times and he he's not 71 years old he looked 33 as they all did i couldn't say about 
Moses because I couldn't look in his face. He was turned, his back was towards me. And the Lord, I could only see the side of his face. But Elijah was looking straight at me many times and staring at me and then talking to the Lord and to Moses. But I saw him very clearly. It's like the transfiguration, but they were in shepherd robes. Because we are at the time that we must understand that the goads are the words of the one shepherd that we must take to the world. Ecclesiastes 12.11 in Acts Paul, when the Lord came to Paul, he told him, why are you stumbling against the goads? The church today is stumbling against the goads because they will not believe that the words of God have the power of God and it is what makes you a son of God. It's the inheritance of the kingdom. John 10, 34 to 37. Those to whom the word comes, they become like little gods, little sons of God. That's what we want to be. We want to be children of God. Little gods, children of God, sons of God. Because through us, he's going to glorify the earth He's going to cause the, the creation to be glorified for his glory at this time. He's going to, that's why he's saying he's going to take dominion away from the world. He's already taken it away from them. But he's going to give it to us if we will come out. We have not come out. We're not listening to what I read to you in Joel 2. We must do this. I hope this has been interesting, and I hope that there's some good understanding that might come out from you. I would suggest to understand how to gird your loins at this time with a belt of truth. Understand what it means. You can see what it did for Elijah. You can see what it did for the disciples when the Lord washed their feet with that towel that was girded around his waist. See, because the waist of hips means we walk in the power of God and we desire the food of the kingdom. But when you have it around your hips, you're saying, Lord, let your word go mighty before you. Because he knew he was, that she, Ahab was going back to face Jezreel, um, Jezebel. What a terrible thing. And he went there and Jezebel overpowered Ahab. He was a weak man. He thought he'd strengthen him. He showed him so many marvelous works, just like coming out of the out of Egypt, basically. And they didn't believe it. That was a mighty work. He was showing you what's going to happen at the end times. That the sea, that the place called the deep, the sea of the deep is going to be emptied. There's going to be an empty expanse that the wicked will not be able to cross back over to get it back into the firmament and into the world, and then into the earth. Lord, I pray that your people receive your message, and Lord, I pray that they will understand your scriptures in a mighty way. Lord, let them understand the value of your words and why the timing, and why, Lord, that we're justified through receiving the words that have the full measure of your spirit in them. Dear Lord, we're justified by God who comes full measure in his words. And dear Lord, we pray that they'll receive that. And Lord, let them understand that we must be sanctified by truth. In other words, you're telling us it's not good enough just to get your words. We have to become doers of them in the way of righteousness so that people are enabled to come forth at this time because you're desiring all men to be saved, come to knowledge of truth. He said, dear Lord, all that call upon your name, which is the word of God, shall be delivered. Anybody that will receive it, Lord, will receive. what a marvelous thing it is. We ask this in thy precious name. Even Elijah, the terrible Ahab, he was dealing with him and showed him the greatness of you right in front of them, and he still became meek to his evil wife. Lord, let us not be like that. Let us stand, dear Lord, and stand with you in strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.